Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be listening around the world. If you like the content I provide, please hit that subscribe button, follow, share, and leave a comment. It really helps me grow as a creator and also helps me grow as a person as well. Joined by none other than Alex Darwin. Alex is the author of the Combat Code Saga, a completed saga at that. He is a SPFBO finalist last year, and he is also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm very glad that we're not meeting in person. Otherwise, I'd be shaking in my boots. (laughs) Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Blaze. I appreciate you having me on the show and uh, really happy to, to chat with you. And as far as shaking in your boots, uh, as you can probably see, I, I'm very much not an imposing person. I'm kind of a, I'm a dad. Um, I'm a dad of, <laughs> of toddlers and uh, I'm, I'm more proficient. I've been doing more diaper changing recently than, than um, jujitsu lately, unfortunately, due to a, a little bit of a back injury. But um yeah, that's that. And, and as far as SPFBO, I'm still working around saying that right. Um, the contestants, and I think we started saying SPFBO at some point. <laughs> everyone, everyone has a different way to say it, but yeah, it's, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> well, pleasure to have you and hope you feel better with, with your back. So why don't we start from the beginning? So Combat Codes is a science fiction story based highly on mixed martial arts. And it's very, very interesting because you don't see too many authors try to put this into a science fiction or even a fantasy series. And the way you bring your background with mixed martial arts into it, especially the main character, Sego, is something that I've, I personally never seen before. And it's very riveting and it's very real, the, the moves that you do and as well as the interaction and the grit that you introduce. So how did this all start? What your passion for the mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu started and maybe a little bit of your childhood leading up to this and ultimately leading to a writing career. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, converging paths here. Uh, I guess, and my own uh, personal arc. So I don't want to, I don't want to bore people too much with it, but on the martial arts side, I kind of had a more, uh, I think like a lot of kids, um, I did martial arts as a, as a child, uh, karate and and Kung Fu and just everything, you know, I wanted to be a, a teenage mutant Ninja Turtle. I think Leonardo was my favorite. I think he was favorite a lot with the with you know twin cantanas. Who can't 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 go wrong with that, right? Right. Um, and I didn't really seriously rekindle um, my passion for martial arts until uh, university when I was about nineteen. Uh, there was a club at the university I went to in Boston um, for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, grappling, and I, I really had no concept of what that was that was prior to the ufc um mixed martial arts being that big um they had started obviously um but i just didn't follow it at that point um this is about 2000 2004 2003 2004 and uh i walked in i would think i was about uh 180 190 pounds you know i lifted i lifted some weights at that point but i certainly wasn't an athlete um and you know most men especially um think they can handle themselves to some extent um you know you have an idea of what you can and can't do in your mind and there was a, a guy in the mat he was probably about a buck 45 did not look that physically imposing at all and this was no gi so there's no uh uniform it's just like planes clothes shorts like kind of wrestling and uh, you know i did a, he i went on the mats with him and he, he pretty much just said 
will try to, you know, try to just hold me down. Um, that's all, all you need to do. Just hold me down. So, I mean, I pretty much at that point, he was able to control me almost with what I would consider like a magical power. I felt like a little kid playing with his dad. That's the only way I could describe it. <laughs> and all my concepts of what I can and can't do as a 20, you know, as a 19 year old went out the window. And I, at that point, as I hear it, people either go one way or the other, they, they preserve their ego and, and never come back and kind of blank that situation out from their, their head. Or they say, this is incredible. I need to learn this. And, uh, that was where I, that's the way I went, of course. And I've been a, a pretty de devout student, uh, of grappling, um, since for, for about 15, 15, a bit more than 15 years now. And I teach, um, uh, my, as I said, my back is currently hurt, but so I'm not teaching right now, but, um, at, at some point, and I've always been a fan of, um, you know, fantasy sci-fi I grew up reading and of course, you know, watching fantasy sci-fi movies and, and dressing up like a ninja every year for Halloween. And I think this is a, this was a convergence of, of two passions. And I thought, you know, as a writer, I've all, you know, I had written throughout my life uh, and had a bunch of unfinished work and had never published. Um, they always, the best advice is always write what you know. And of course that's, that's what I knew. And I'd always wanted to see a, uh, some world building. I love swords and sorcery and I, I love sword play, but I, I thought of how, how interesting would it be if, if we could somehow take uh, weaponry out of the equation and, how, and then that's kind of how I reverse engineered the world. How can I create a world where, where we don't need weaponry, where people aren't just going to, you know, do the Indiana Jones thing where you have like the, the ninja that does all the, the uh, flashy martial arts moves. And then, and then Indy just pulls out the gun and shoots him dead. Um, how can we avoid that? How can we make, bring martial arts to the forefront? And, you know, it's been done before a lot, especially in anime. I think anime has done a really good job. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, uh, the Japanese are always a little bit ahead with a lot of these narratives. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd seen some of that um, in, in a variety of anime where sport uh, mixed martial arts might be at the forefront. And I thought I, I could try to put that um, into, into fiction. Yeah, it's funny that you actually mentioned um, Japanese anime because two of my favorite animes growing up was um, Dragon Ball Z, which I know has Super Saiyans and it has magic and it has all that. Well, not magic. Um, you understand. And then uh, Naruto, which probably is a little bit more uh, te technical and has a lot more martial arts to it than that. But yeah, I can definitely see the inspiration for those coming through. Now, this combat codes. Did you always have the idea that you wanted to put it into like a sci-fi type setting? And like, because when I read uh, the combat codes, I kind of got the, the first thing that came to my head is like, oh, this feels a little bit like the Matrix type of thing. But um, yeah, just how, how did you want to, to use the uh, sci-fi into your series? Yeah, no, that's a good, a good question. And I'm not sure if you followed the quote unquote controversy with SPFBO, it being a, a fantasy contest. And once I made it to the finals, one big, um, I guess you could say note that was put under a lot of reviews was, well, we don't really think this is, is fantasy. 
And yes. that's a whole other conversation. Um, and I'm that's a that's a great actually a very fun topic to talk about. What what are the borders of sci-fi and fantasy? And I've, I've had some some panels where we talked about that. And that's really just all all fun to me. I don't take it that seriously. But to be honest, I didn't I didn't world build or write the combat codes with a specific setting in mind. Uh, it kind of just came together. And I think part of that now looking back on it um, comes from again, from, from Japan, in that I've always been a massive fan of um, JRPGs, uh, Japanese RPGs like Final Fantasy or Chrono Trigger, a lot of the Squaresoft stuff. And I noticed that with a lot of those, they don't, they're not, because they're not literary or they're not fiction, they're not really pigeonholed to genres like um, hard sci-fi or, or um, you know, high fantasy, swords and sorcery, like, like we are as authors. I think a lot of those creators kind of are able to just build from a, a more organic standpoint and they meld uh, magic and mechs and technology and lo-fi tech and all. It's just like kind of this hodgepodge. And that's kind of like, I feel like I didn't do it knowingly. I feel that's where looking back, it's easy to say in retrospect, but I feel that's where I was coming from. That's just kind of my roots, um, that form of storytelling and, and I really love that. I love not, I'm not saying that I will never write, you know, straight sci-fi or straight fantasy because I I like both of those genres, but I really like just kind of having the freedom of, of of mixing and matching. We're going to come back to the final fantasy because I'm a huge fan of that. I need to get you. Yes. Let's talk about, let's just spend the rest of this interview talking about final (laughs) fantasy. We can, can, but I want to get some some other stuff too. Um, so you do something with the um, the combat codes is you do something very similar to how like Western civilization used uh, knights and used just basically like a champion to, instead of doing it for like an army or for a certain um, group of people, you do it for whole nations. So instead of doing the big warfare and saying, okay, we're going to fight this kingdom and like put them into a siege, we're going to do, no. You pick your best champion, we'll pick our best champion, and the winner prevails. So what did you want? Did you always have that in mind when, when going into this? It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely one of uh, the, the seeds uh, of the, both the world building as well as the narrative that I, I had wanted to plant. Um, I always have thought that concept is so cool where, you know, people don't have to go to war and you know, millions of lives don't need to be lost um, when you just can have these two champions that are representing larger groups, um, you know, duke it out, and and that will decide uh, where resources and lands and you know everything else goes, and that creates a whole unique ecosystem. In that, if that were the case. Um, imagine what resources need to go behind these fighters. How would people try to game the system? And that's kind of, uh, you'll see that in the combat codes uh, in that it's sort of like, if you've ever watched the, the UFC, what would these fighters look like if the entire, an entire nation was putting their, their weight, their technology behind it. And you, you sort of see that in the Olympics, um, but the Olympics, the stakes are simply pride. Um, and, and maybe a few other things, but whereas in this case, the stakes it, are everything that's, that's, you know, diplomacy done, done by martial single combat. Exactly. Exactly. So why don't we just, for some of the, um, audience, when people listening who may not know what the combat codes is, 
why don't we just give them a brief background to what the series is, what the main um, points of view are, and what the what the themes and the tropes going on. Yeah, so I think we gave a little bit of, we've given a pretty good outline on what the world itself is. Essentially, uh, there was some event where uh, in order to avoid mutual destruction, uh, the various nations in, in, this, uh, in this world needed to essentially um, put their, their weapons of mass destruction away. And they were these, these fighters, this race of fighters was able to step up and essentially um, fight so that the rest um, do not have to. Um, and of course, it's, it's not that straightforward. There's a lot of politics that have played into it. And these, we soon find that uh, as the story goes on, that it, it's not, as nothing is straightforward, these fighters, um, some of them think they're fighting for a noble cause, whereas others believe that they're being used as pawns to, to these other races, um, these rulers. Um, in order to to win, you know, this the political games that they're playing. Um, but the the primary narrative follows uh, a teenager named Sigo, and he has mysterious origins, as as one would expect. And he he doesn't really remember too much about his past. He remembers a bit about his training under his tutelage under uh, an old master, which uh, probably is another uh, trope that I've taken from various animes and martial arts movies. And by the way, the, the combat codes is filled with tropes and that I love the ones that I love, um, such as the, wrong with that. The, the old master, uh, he's training with his brothers and he has, he has flashbacks to that. And he is taken under the wing of a grizzled um, ex champion named Murray, um, who is kind of disillusioned with the entire system. Um, the politics that, that he's had to put up with um, his fall from grace. And he has become a scout um, to look for uh, pr promising fighters for his nation. And he, again, he's, he's, he's a drunkard and he uh, spies a gem in, in the rough in Sego. And, and he, he brings him, he needs to uh, fight for Sego's freedom and eventually brings him to the, the combat academy where uh, a majority of the first book takes place. It's called the Lyceum. Sego is join, joins up with uh, other, um, other teenagers who are seen as, as prospects to, to become knights for, for this, this nation. And um, yeah, again, that that is kind of the the setup for the rest. Each each subsequent book um, kind of builds the the scope, and um, I know uh, a lot of it takes does take place in the combat academy. But I I really made a concerted effort to not do the Harry Potter thing where where you really just doing the repeating the same thing over and over um, and and giving some new new adventures within the academy, I really wanted to build the, the entire world out. So I try to increase the, the stakes in each book. Yes, and you certainly did, especially in book two, where it gets a lot more political and you get a bigger sense of the larger, larger scope, especially, um, yeah, the, the fights in book two. Those were some of my favorite in the entire series. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And also, I hear that you have a big announcement that you actually uh, made over Twitter two days ago. I hear congratulations are in order. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm still I'm still buzzing from it. Um, and 
Um, I had actually known this news for a little while, but I, I recently signed with, with an agent, um, Ed Wilson, um, out of the UK from, from Johnson and Alcock. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, I'm not from the UK. I believe I am. Um, and who's an agent that I, I've really admired and uh, for quite a while now followed him. Um, and, and some of the authors he represents uh, are, are fantastic that I've also really admired them. Um, so I was over the moon um, to, to sign with him. And uh, it had been a little bit of a, of a process where, where I had been um, talking with several agents, actually. And, and the thing that really stood, about, stood out about Ed was his uh, commitment to um, an author. I mean, uh, for anyone that's been through um, the process, um, you know, agents are, are different. They're, they're human and they, 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 in the U S and UK, they're different. And, um, there, there's just like with any, anybody you're going to work with, you really need to, you know, evaluate whether you fit with each other, um, given, um, you know, it's potentially hopefully going to be a long-term, um, relationship. Um, but what I found with, especially out of the U S is a lot of agents, um, we're more interested in representing a single project um, rather than an, the, my career. Um, and where I am in my career, I was really looking for someone that could be a partner. Like I want someone that I can bounce ideas off of someone that I can have a laugh with, you know, and I understand that it's a business relationship and that's not necessarily something all agents would be looking for. Um, but Ed really, uh, exemplified that and uh, again I, I was so excited i think um he can uh, with his expertise we we can certainly um reach a much wider audience um with with all future future things i write so uh, i'm really excited about it yes that's big news and congratulations again that's uh, that's very very exciting um it was a wonder if you could shed some light on just the process of uh, for new writers out there, anyone who might be listening, of getting your getting your book um, up to up to speed, and also maybe um, indie publishing it, and what what that might entail. Sure. Yeah. No problem. And there's there's obviously uh, many different ways to go about it, especially now with with indie publishing, um, the rise of indie publishing, the rise of self publishing. Um, it's it fan. I see it as fanta fantastic because it it really has has provided a wealth of opportunities for someone who wants to um, you know make the jump and and take this on. It used to be kind of there's only one way as far as traditional publishing goes, you know, to to you know sub submit manuscripts and and get an agent and have the agent submit to to traditional and. And um, that's still very viable. And obviously I, I am moving in that direction, but um, I have a very unconventional career, um, as you can see from, from starting with self-publishing and um, now working with, with an agent and moving towards traditional. I, I think I, I am an example of how it doesn't, not everything needs to be done in one way and having an open mind can, can certainly help. Um, it, there is, I would say, you know, I always tie everything to, to jujitsu, um, being a teacher, uh, I would say in order to break the rules, and this is true with everything in order to break the rules, I think you need to know the rules first though. Um, and that's really important. Some people just say, well, it's like the wild west and you can do anything you want. I think you should know the rules and then perhaps you, you can break them. Um, but as far as my own, uh, 
experience with, with self-publishing where, where really I, I have the most experience. Um, the, there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons. Um, I would say the pros are you're running your own business. Um, that's, that's what I would liken it to. Um, I have run a business before and it's very similar in that you're your own boss. You set obviously, you know, all the own, your, your parameters for what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Uh, you really don't have any, any deadlines outside of your own, own mind, which can be good or bad. Um, and I would say most of all front, uh, what needs to be looked at is, uh, is capital, um, resources, um, because, in order to self-publish, it requires that you are getting your book in front of readers. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I was fortunate enough to um, do well in SPFBO and get, become a finalist, which really did it, you know, really, really was beneficial to me as far as getting combat codes in front of new readers. I had previously really marketed towards martial artists and that had been good, but you know, um, first of all, not all martial artists are readers necessarily. And second of all, that, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I hadn't yet reached a lot of SFF, uh, readers. I didn't even really know if they would love, love the book or not. And I was lucky enough to find out that a lot of people did really enjoy the combat codes, despite the fact that they weren't martial artists themselves or didn't even care for martial arts. I, I, you know, I was amazed to find that out. Um, so I was, I was very um, fortunate to have made it that far in that competition, but outside of that being, being self-published uh, requires uh, on the capital resources side, as far as, you know, spending money uh, it can, it can be costly just like running a business. You have to take risk. Um, again, it's the same as running, running a business in order to get, you know, customers, AKA readers um, you need to take risk, whether that be with, um, spending money on a really good uh, cover um, artist or cover designer, um, whether that be putting money into um, Amazon's uh, ad services uh, or Facebook, um, whether that be spending money on an editor, who, a professional editor, copy editor, who can really make sure your book is professional as possible, a formatter. Um, you really can spend a wide range of, of money and there's places you can cut corners. And I'm not saying you have to be, you know, rich to do this, but you have to treat it if you're going to do it right. And you want to see this as like a, a potential profession for yourself. And you really want to get your book out there. You kind of, you kind of do have to uh, take, take risk. That's, that's what I would say. And that's, that's a, positive because again, just like a small business, you're, you're steering the ship, but the negative is, um, if you don't have that ability, because I totally understand that, you know, uh, people, you know, if you're supporting your family, suddenly, you know, turning a bunch of money around, it's, it, it is, it's, it's as if you were saying, Hey, I'm going to start a business and that could be very beneficial. It could start a new, uh, career for yourself and your family, but at the same time, it, it's a risk. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of authors and wannabe authors out there uh, appreciate the input from someone who's, who's published and has had as much success as you. So again, thanks for that. So back to Final Fantasy, probably one of my, <laughs> yes, it's a brilliant segue, but 
definitely probably one of my favorite series playing that and Legend of Zelda. I'm a diehard Final Fantasy. I actually, I started late. I didn't start right from the beginning. My first foray into Final Fantasy was number 10. Um, absolutely loved it. To this day, I still think it's the second best game I've played apart from seven. I know there's some debate whether six should be in there or somewhere, but absolutely fell in love with just, just the world, the combat system, um, the magic, the swords, and all the strange creatures up there. So how would how would you rank like all your Final Fantasy and what do you like most about it? Oh, wow. That could be a contentious, contentious. Uh, no. you you know, I've, ne- I've never been one that pushes, pushes my favorite Final Fantasy because I realize everyone likes different things. And it's funny that you started with 10. We're like both sides of the spectrum, Blaze, because you started with 10 and 10 was the last Final Fantasy I played. But that was, uh, I still remember where I was, but that was like the end of an era in my life where I was, um, you know, I'd finished university and I, I just, after that, I don't think I got the new game system and I just really stopped gaming to this day. And now, you know, I, I just don't have the time. I would love to. And I kind of, every once in a while, I'll see a clip from one of these new Final Fantasies and I, I have this piece of my, I, my soul that is drawn towards it, but then I, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm writing. I'm, you know, I'm still working to support my family. I've, I've soon to be three kids, and I just can't. I'm like, I can't jump up. Maybe when there will be a point when I will go back to it. But yeah, ten was the last one I played. My favorite, I, you know, this is so. It's like choosing between kids for me. That's where it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, maybe you have a favorite kid, right? No one says they do, but <laughs> um, I, I love, I love, there's certain, there's, there's ones I could say that are not my favorite. Like nine definitely is not my favorite. Not that I didn't like it. I very much enjoyed the experience, but like between 10 and six and four and then one, those are all, they all have like mark different parts of my life. Like I started with one and I, I just remember playing one, like as like a, I don't know, nine year old <laughs> in my friend's basement. I remember seven very specifically because it was like on PlayStation. Um, but they all kind of are, are just like so nostalgic for me for, for different reasons. I think, I think if I really had to pick one, I actually really um, love four. That's, that's one. I don't know if that's a popular opinion, but um four which is actually called in the u.s final fantasy 2 um i think was if i really had to pick i i just i love that one um i love the main character his name is cecil and i love the his arc um from becoming he starts as kind of like a dark knight commander riding the airships he's like this badass and he he has a, a really cool arc where he becomes a, a paladin um you know, fighting for the light. And he has this like uh, right-hand man named Kane, who's a dragoon. And I just really love the relationships in that. And that's a good segue where I actually, a lot of the Final Fantasy I watched over my brother's shoulders and was not even playing the game. And it was just like literally engrossed in the story. And I've never been one of these Final Fantasy players where I like a I don't know what they call them, like a power player where I'll like, just like level up everything. I just would play. I really would just play for the story. And I think that's why it's affected my, my writing so much. I mean, I, I enjoyed, of course, the gameplay. I, I enjoyed the side games. I enjoyed the fighting, the battles, but I just 
for me, I fell in love with the story. I thought the stories were just this, these grand spectacles with giant casts. I don't think you could do, I mean, certain authors have come close with, with, you know, the, you know, massive casts of characters in this grand spectacle that, that I think Final Fantasy brings, but I don't think you could do it. it. It's like in in the narrative format, only with a game like that, we have like, like Final Fantasy three is the quintessential or six quintessential one where I just look at it and I see this. It's, it's again, the only word I can use is like this spectacle where each, you have so many characters and converging storylines. Um, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, it's actually funny you say that because I have come across a couple of series that actually do that. But the, the trade-off is that the, the the detail and the world building is so intricate, and it's, it forces you to pay close attention to it. That those series are it's a uh, Malazan or Malazan by Steven Erickson, and one series which I'm in the middle of now, uh, War of Light and Shadow by Jenny Works, which is amazing, amazing series. Um, well, if you do ever get back into Final Fantasy, I can positively say that Final Fantasy VII remake was very well done. I've heard that was good. Uh, yeah, that I've heard that, and I've had a few other recommendations for uh, the, what I should play next. Yeah, and of all the characters I've played throughout Final Fantasy, um, my favorite one is really not a main character; he's more of a side character. Is uh, Oren from Final Fantasy X? Just that his mysterious, like mysterious bodyguard. He um, he helps out Titus, but he also helped out his father in like mysterious flashbacks, and how it just converges through the end. I just loved. The way that uh, oh, I love Oren was such a badass. That sword, the sword he has, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, is it a katana? I forget what kind of sword it is. It's kind of like a cloud strife giant, giant katana. Like I don't know, you would call it just like a massive sword. I believe. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to hold that if I tried. Um, so, any, um, what are you currently um, reading? What types of series are you reading now? If you're reading uh, at all. Yeah, no, it's it's tough because I'm glad you caught me at a time when I am reading. Off sometimes when I'm when I'm writing a lot or just busy or or following when you know my kids are pretty young, um, and especially with with a baby, the sleep is hard to come by. So, reading unfortunately I, is the activity I usually do before bed, and so I might have like a minute, and then my eyes will be closed. But I've actually been knock on wood, we have a baby coming in about a month, so hopefully my reading. My, thank you. My reading doesn't get lost but i've been reading i've been reading quite a bit lately um i'm currently reading um empire of the vampire by jay christoph which i'm very much enjoying i'm not it's funny because i'm not, i'm really first of all i'm not a vampire person if that's a thing like i've never i mean like i i used to read um a lot of uh, forgotten realms and there were some vampire um a uh, few vampire specific books, which I did enjoy in that world. Um, but I've never sought out uh, vampire books of any sort. So that's not really what attracted to me. I just read a bunch of good reviews. And the other thing is I'm really not a grimdark person. Like I'm a fairly light person. I like, I like pop, uh, like my movies. I like pop kind of um, popcorn movies. I think that's what you call it. Like Armageddon is, is, Entertainment. is one of my, yeah, I, I like those. Not that I can't, like stomach that sort of thing it's just not my preference i don't i'm not usually drawn to that and and this book started off it was was very very dark um so i had to get over a few hurdles but a lot of the things that i love about uh tropes that i love were included in the book and those were what drew, drew me in it has a really cool uh academy setting um 
I thought the world building was fantastic. The writing is very, it really, I, I'm a fan of Name of the Wind. Um, uh, Rothfuss, um, no matter what people say about him, that, that is a classic, in my opinion, the, the first book, at least. Uh, uh, the Academy, and this is very, has a lot of, of similarities to, to Name of the Wind um, in a much, I would say, darker world. But especially the the form of storytelling is done done by uh uh a narrator who's telling a story within a story so uh which is you know just very similar to what Rothfuss did there and it uh jay christoph i thought he is fantastic uh, writer and i'm really enjoying it so it's proven i like i like being proven wrong i like opening my mind to things that I might think I don't like so that I'm, I guess I'm proud of myself for reading this because again, it's not something I would normally jump into and I'm really enjoying it. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, yeah, no, that, so that's, that's, that's currently what I'm reading. Um, uh, I'm looking very much looking forward. I'm a big fan of Fonda Lee's, um, Greenbone, uh, trilogy. So I'm looking forward to the, the final book in that series, which I know is, is on the horizon that that has some fantastic martial arts. Um, and I really enjoyed the first two books in that series. Those are two excellent series. I, I have empire of the vampire on audio and I can't wait to get to that. And I'm, I'm like you, I am not a fan of the vampire character like at all. Like I watched <laughs> my watch the twilight movies I saw and I just couldn't, couldn't watch it at all. Um, and I don't know if you've read Jay Kristoff's previous two series, but they are, those are fantastic. If you ever want to give those a try. Um, actually, and there's a lot of books I'm looking forward to that are coming out in the next couple of months. So more specifically, I don't know if you have read anything by Ken Liu, the Dandelion Dynasty. I have. I've read, I've read um, Gra uh, Grace of Kings, right? Yep. Grace of Kings. That is a fantastic book. And the second book, Wall of the Storms, is even, even better, even though it's <laughs> very thick. The third book comes out in November. I can't wait for that to come out. So that's why uh, I really I need I need to. Uh, I read Grace of Kings quite a while ago, and I didn't read the second one. Uh, so I need to. I think I need to reread prior to picking up the second one, and then hopefully the third. But I really I I remember I really enjoyed Grace of Kings. Yeah, and it's very. It's obviously Asian inspired. It's very historical, and like how the gods interact with with humans, and they do like a lot of weird prophecies, and the gods are. And it, it's very like, it's like episodic, but it's also like, like year, year after year after year and how the characters evolve from that. And it's very, it's very well done. I've never read anything quite like that. So that's one thing to look out for. And one more thing, do you have any suggestions for, since we're doing under the radar books for any um, under the radar series that you've read over the years that maybe doesn't have, hasn't gotten as attention as it probably should? Um, so over the years is hard, but I can think back more to recent books that I've read. Um, and this may not be quite under the radar, but it's definitely not like I would say uh, uh, something that got major, major marketing. But recently I read um, uh, Cameron Johnston's uh, Maleficent 7. Mm -hmm. um, and he also actually uh, is, is represented by, by Ed. And it did get some, you know, it, I think it's published by Angry Robot Books and, and they do a really good job marketing. But 
for for those. So I don't know if it qualifies under the radar or if there is one, but I, I really enjoyed that book. And that's also uh, maybe that's what got me to Empire of the Vampire, like as an in-between, because it's definitely not grim dark, but it has a lot of dark themes. But he's able to pull it off in such a entertaining fashion. It actually reminded me a little bit of like Kings of the Wild, which I'm a fantastic fan of. I love I love Kings of the Wild for you can imagine why I'm saying I love like popcorn books. I think Kings of the Wild is like the champion popcorn book in that it's just so fun. Like the the bands, the it's like an old rock band getting back together. Oh man, it, that the, Nicholas Eames, that's such a fantastic book. And this definitely, it was like a grim dark, but not really that grim. Um, Kings of the Wild. And I really, really enjoyed that book. So I, I highly recommend that if some people want uh, a fun read, I, I went through it really fast. Yeah. Uh, Kings of the Wild is, is a really good, good story. I have Maleficent, was it Maleficent 7? Um, yes. And you can't go wrong with that name because I'm such a big fan of Seven Samurai and, and Magnificent Seven, which is, of course is based on uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. So I was like, if you put that any version of the Seven, because I'm such a fan of, of Seven Samurai, uh, it immediately attracts my attention. <laughs> Oh, since you're a fan of Samurais, I actually have a, a suggestion for you. Uh, as it is an under-the-radar author. His name is uh, Matthew Wolf. It's the Ronin Saga, the first book being uh, The Knife's Edge. Um, it, it blends fantasy and the, um, the samurai, or the Ronin, I should say. And each Ronin has a different type of element. So one is earth, one is leaf, one is wind, one is fire. And they are extinct from the... Well, they're not extinct. They went they've been missing from the world for decades, but they're, but they're slowly starting to come back. And then there's, there's a new group of characters who are going to take up the mantle of Ronan because evil's returning to the world is done. Fantastically. The first four books are released. So you ever, oh, that sounds, that definitely sounds like I'm a, I'm a big samurai fan. Um, everything samurai I love. And um, uh, I think that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be spreading the word. So, yeah. So with that, I think we'll start wrapping up. Why don't you tell the, uh, the audience members where we can find you, what your Twitter handle is, and what we can be looking out for next from you. Yeah. So uh, Combat Codes, at Combat Codes is my Twitter and my Instagram. Um, so that's pretty simple. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm on there and, and I have a website, which is also CombatCodes.com. Keep, I keep it fairly simple. Um, you can find me. I live, I live in Boston. If you would like to come um, train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, I, I live in Natick, so so come by for a class. And I I love whether you are a grappler or a martial artist or someone who has no experience whatsoever, uh, whether you're in shape or not in shape, uh, whether you're young or old, male or female, it doesn't matter. Um, it really is for everyone. Not to say that you'll be good at it, because that is just like when a new writer um, thinks they'll be good without ever having written. I think that's a weird expectation. I think every skill acquisition requires actually practicing. So come in with good expectations and uh, about being bad at something. If you, unless you're a wrestler or a, or you have grappling experience, in which case you probably will be fairly good. <laughs> Yes. So thank you very much for joining me, Alex. I appreciate it. Let's do this again sometime. Thank you so much, Blaze. I appreciate you having me on.
All right. Cheers.